everyone, welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast, and today we are going to another dimension, the Twilight Zone. As always, I'm your host, Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And we have a special guest to take us on this encounter, Alex. It's me, I'm back. Yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah, it's been forever. Assuming your listeners remember who I am. I'm hoping. <laughs> You're on some pretty good episodes. Well, how about you Don't remind you? them, one of you two? Well, Alex, also known as the guy who I get on here to come talk horror with me because other people don't like mm-hmm. horror. Um, and also... I, talk, I come on here to talk about horror and wholesome things. Oh, this is... Yeah, yeah. So Mr. Rogers, Captain America, and Scream. Basically, yeah. <laughs> that's my brand. And Halloween. And now the Twilight Zone. I love the Twilight Zone. We need to up your wholesome game. We need, we need, we need another wholesome one to offset this one. <laughs> I, I will find a good wholesome topic to come back and talk about. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, so why don't you tell people where you're at on the internet yeah, and podcast-wise? So I do a pop culture podcast called What We Talk About When We Talk About with my friends Emily and Levi. Uh, and i that's just like a weekly thing, usually like 45 minutes to an hour. And we just pick random topics and kind of get to the big picture uh, conversation around them. And then we, I'm also on Friday.com doing genre and horror news and review for film. And those are the two main places. And then I do Game Boys, which is a co-op gaming podcast with my roommate Ryan and our friend Tim. And I think that covers it. Yeah. You're a busy man. I am. I do a lot. But it's all things that I really, really like. So that's cool. <laughs> so, um, like I said, we are covering The Twilight Zone. And to start it off, our question is, what's your favorite episode of The Twilight Zone? And if you don't have one or like a favorite moment that you can remember... Just, you know, do you know about it and what do you know about it? Adrian? Um, I don't, I've been like looking through things to see like what episodes I've watched and I think I've just blocked them all out of my head, <laughs> to be honest. Because I used to watch these with my grandma because um, she loves the Twilight Zone. So we used to watch when I was kids. And if you know anything about me and like horror and things, I don't like that stuff. Uh, so they used to scare the shit out of me when I was little. And like, I, the one that I can remember off the top of my head is some, someone with a clock and like a grandfather clock and it was very scary and I didn't like it. And then I stopped watching him after that. Um, I can appreciate the Twilight Zone. I'm kind of scared to watch Jordan Peele's new Twilight Zone, but I've watched episodes of Black Mirror and been fine, but I just feel like the whole black and white thing. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just that guy at the beginning. It's all just very. Rod Very off- he's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, hey, I'm sure he's a fantastic human being, but he's also creepy as shit, and ha- it makes me uneasy. Oh, okay, question: Have you been on the Tower of Terror? I have been on the Tower of Terror. I like the Tower of Terror. Okay, I like that. Because doesn't that have his voiceover? It does. It doesn't have him, but I think it had his voice. I mean, that was fine because I, 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 okay. I can handle that. It's, it, you it can handle him whispering roller. in your ear, just not his face. Yeah, just That's, not I his face yeah. before a very scary episode and before I go to bed. In a very old, creaky house that my grandma <laughs> lives in. So, <laughs> I mean, our, uh, like I appreciate Rod Sterling, but he does look a little Norman Batesy, so I can understand. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> Matt, I mean, he has this oh. weird accent that is, I think, unique to that era. Yeah, like it's not even regional; it's just that era. That's fair. Yeah, that's really fair. Um. I've seen some of it, but it's been so long. And then I also kind of get confused between the Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits. 
I believe. And so the only thing that I can really think of remember is the one with, I don't even know if it, which one it is, but there's one with the guy on the glasses, and he's the last person on Earth, and he breaks his glasses. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. But that would be the one that I think about the most as a person who wears glasses. Okay. Because it'd be great to be the last person on Earth, but then if you broke your glasses, you're like, oh, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about the Futurama version of that episode? Because <laughs> that is that is one of my favorites. It's just like, oh, my eyes aren't that bad. I, I enjoy Oh, my eyes fell out. Well, at least I can read Braille. Yeah, I enjoy that one, actually. But no, that would be the one thing that I remember explicitly from the Twilight Zone. I feel like there's other mm-hmm. ones as we talk about it that will kind of jog my memory, but it has been so, so long. Like, I probably watched these things in the 90s, probably when... I guess Kate and Adrian were like little babies. I was watching this stuff, and I don't remember from that. The nineties were a thing. Yeah. Are you are you trying to like old man me from a show that's from like the fifties? Yep. Is that what's going on right now? Yep. Is this really happening? Uh, Ninety years without slumbering is the episode that I remember. Ah. I looked it up, and it scared me because my grandma has a big grandfather clock that was my grandpa's, and every time I saw it, it freaked me out after I watched that episode. So there we go. Yeah. Alex. Yeah. I think my favorite episode might be talking Tina. It is such a creepy episode. Yeah. Uh, And I, I it's, it's talking Tina is tied with the plastic surgery episode where Mm -hmm. they're trying to make the woman beautiful. Yeah. That's a really, I don't want to like say what happens in it. I just really like that one. Uh, but the talking Say Tina it. one is just like this guy gets his daughter a talking doll oh. and it's obnoxious and she pulls the string and it's like, my name's talking Tina and I love you. Da, da, da. And then his daughter goes to bed and without anyone touching the string, it says, my name's talking Tina and I don't think I like you. In fact, I think I hate you. And it's just like, nope, I'm out. I'm done. But also yep. I love this. Keep going. So I do remember that episode and it's terrifying and I hate dolls and we do not do that. Nope. That's yeah, no, I get it. It is that episode that I'm like, this is deeply upsetting, and yet it's done so well. Also, gonna... Johnny Bravo did several direct parodies of Twilight Zone, and that I think was also one of my first like memories of that concept of story style. You're right, yeah. They did a talking doll one, they did the kid who has powers, and everyone's overly nice to him because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think one or two others, but yeah. Yeah, um, so I don't have that as an example, but I do have some examples of where these shows have either become, been redone in its entirety, or parodied, or brought into full episodes of other TV shows. Because that's it's, it's a, a lot. lot. Yeah. Um, so I was going to say, um, uh, crap, and I forgot the name because Matt said it. It's called. It's it's the guy with the glasses it's yeah. like it's i think it's called like enough time or something like yeah because he's like though there's finally enough time exactly um yeah to read i knew about that books. one because of because a family guy right family guy does a thing on that Feature- like peter's like last brain cell or something like that oh yeah that sounds right yeah, yeah. i was like i so knew the Futurama one i didn't I, I yeah. remember the family guy one yeah there's a family guy one too yeah that sounds familiar yeah um and then my one after that was gonna be the living doll which is talkie tina um, so I'm gonna have to pick a third one. So Alex I don't brought back say... suppressed memory for talking Tina, so that's why I'm now jogging <laughs> that one loose. I am placing a doll in your house next time I go. Over. Don't you say that Please like I don't, don't already have a clown doll here? Oh, you were threatening Kate. 
Oh, yeah, I think Kate and Matt for sure. Yeah, one of my friends got a clown doll right after it came out and left it on my porch. Is that? Oh, yeah, you told us about that. That's terrible. Yeah, I'll send you a picture later. Can we get the video for the show notes uh, that I sent you guys of the lady who wanted to, that they were selling all their stuff at their house? And that sister says, hey, will somebody buy this doll for me? And I'll give you oh, the money. Was, and then I'll. That was terrifying. It's so good. That's that all terrifying. I'm thinking of. Oh, well, in that vein, um, I'm going to say the dummy, which that is. That is a good one. A dummy who refuses to play by his partner's rules. And is it, that the description on like Wikipedia? That is literally what the description on Wikipedia is. Oh, that's so good. It, oh, yeah. I also really like the pool shark episode. The pool shark's really, really good. I just really, really like the dummy one because like ventriloquist dummies are terrifying. Oh, and... when I saw that they were in Toy Story 4, I was pissed. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> That's fair. I don't need an army of slappies in that movie. That's fair. And uh, see, that you said slappy, and like I was being goosebumps did a dummy thing that mm-hmm. was extremely terrifying. Nope. Uh, nope. Buffy does a dummy thing and then nope. twists it, which was kind of cool. Nope. But it, I saw this one first, and then I read the goosebump book, and then I saw the goosebump okay. episode. Oh, that episode can die in a fire. It's with Alex. terrible. With Alex it's on that one, it's terrifying. Um, but like, I love horror, but that episode can die. Well, it's it's those things where it's like it's the uncanny valley, and that that's where the Twilight Zone lives. It lives mm-hmm. in this space where it pulls these things that are so close yeah. to reality, but different enough to make you just squirm. No, I like that. The Twilight Zone is a suburb in the uncanny valley. Like it, they just decided yes. to settle there. Exactly, and there's no surprise that Jordan Peele has moved in. I'm and I love it. I'm so into it. Have you watched the new the new episode? The comedian, yes. Yeah. Or okay, I watched from... the first like 15 minutes of it. Okay, it's good. It, we'll talk about it later. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um. So now we've got that out of the way, it is time for the history. Um. So the Twilight Zone pretty much followed in the tradition of earlier television shows such as Tales of Tomorrow, science fiction theater, and radio programs like Weird Circle and Dimension X and. If you think about this, this is also in line with a lot of comics at the time, fantastic stories, amazing stories, these little pretty much like one-offs, but not really anything too deep. Um, they were just fun stories for the most part. And then Rod Sterling came in. Um, as a boy, Rod Sterling was Can I ask a one fan. question before this? <clears throat> yes. World of War. World of War. Yeah, war. <laughs> war of the Worlds? Yes. Fall yes. into this. HG, those were, I think, I think H.G.L. Wells has had his own radio show at the time when that came on. Yeah, like it so. was, a, it was like a dedicated H.G. Wells, like. So I'm assuming hour. is this in the same time frame, though? Is it that Yeah, correct? pretty much. Okay. Um, no, I think it's before. It's, I couldn't remember what it was, but I didn't think it was after, but I didn't know if it was the same or before. Uh, yeah, it's before, 1938. Okay. Yeah. Um, so obviously it's not anything entirely new. But what Rod Sterling does with this concept is entirely new. Um, So a little bit about Rod. As a boy, he was a fan of Pulp Fiction stories. And as an adult, he sought topics with themes such as racism, government, war, society, and human nature in general, which we will get to a little bit later. Um, So he decided to combine these two interests, Pulp Fiction and heavier social themes, into subjects on television. Um, specifically during the 50s, which was a time when this was not talked about. So before he gave us the Twilight Zone, he established himself as one of the most popular names in television, and he 
was a famous drama writer for TV. Um, and he was known for criticizing the limitations of genre, of, of drama as a genre, and kind of looking outwards. His most vocal complaints were concerns of censorship, which was frequently practiced by sponsors and networks at the time, and well past, you know, the Star Trek era, and even today. Um, not at the level that it was back then, but sponsorships and ads and stuff still play a big role. We're moving away from that with streaming and stuff, but... He said, I was not permitted to have my senators discuss any current or pressing problems. He said on his 1957 production of the, Arima, uh, of the Arena, which dealt with politics, which is interesting because mm -hmm. he couldn't talk about anything current or pressing. Um, to, talk on, to talk of tariff was to align oneself with the Republicans. To talk of labor was to suggest control of the Democrats. To say a single thing germane to the current political scene was absolutely prohibited. Um, so when you look at a lot of stuff that comes out of the 19, I would say late 1940s, 1950s, and early 1960s, a lot of it is really cookie cutter in that their dramas repeating this like really sanitized story of things. But with science fiction, you come out of that. And science fiction and horror and any sort of genre lets you explore different types of things. After he got tired with drama in 1958, he decided to pitch a pilot to CBS called The Time Element. And this is where he wrote and hoped to produce an entire weekly anthology series. And this was the first time he actually wrote science fiction. Um, the plot is this. Several years after the end of World War II, a man named Peter Jensen visits a psychiatrist, Dr. Gillespie. Jensen tells him about a recurring dream in which he tries to warn people about the sneak attack on Pearl Harbor before it happens, but the warnings are disregarded. Jensen believes the events of the dream are real, and each night he travels back to 1941. Dr. Gillespie insists that time travel is impossible given the nature of temporal paradoxes. While on the couch, Jensen falls asleep, once again, but this time, dreams that the Japanese planes shoot and kill him. In Dr. Gillespie's office, the couch Jensen was lying on is now empty. Dr. Gillespie goes to a bar where he finds Jensen's picture on the wall. The bartender tells him that Jensen had tended the bar there, but he was killed during the Pearl Harbor attack. Dun, dun, dun! Or it should be, or it should be. It's so good. I need that as a ringtone. The more yeah, I think everybody does it. a little no. bit. Yes, I do. No, I do. I like the Twilight Zone is so so near and dear to me. I am, I guess, a third generation nerd, and uh, that my grandfather was like way 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 into Star Trek. My dad was a nerd, and I'm a nerd. And like the thing that we all share that every year we would watch was the Twilight Zone marathon. Like that's the thing that we corralled around. Like my not even just us. Like my entire family. Like. I think it's it was on New Year's Day Sci-Fi mm -hmm. Channel, does it? Is that right? Yep. Yeah, and so New Year's Day, it was like, get together, have, you know, lunch, dinner, whatever, but Twilight Zone was on the entire time. Yeah, I just watched New Year's Eve bowl games. I used, so the first Twilight Zone I was introduced to was the one from the 80s, and I watched that with my dad, and okay. then they started playing it at nighttime on one of the channels. I think it was like Turner Classic, mm -hmm. not Turner Classic, uh, I don't know, it was one of those old, those old channels where it only showed old stuff. And then we would watch it every night before we went to sleep. I did not have problems, with the exception of a couple of episodes, which were mainly anything involving dogs or or dolls or the weird ass aliens that they would make, because um, those yeah. are just really creepy. Um, 
but me and my dad bonded a lot over that. Nice. Yeah, see, Twilight Zone brings families it together. Does. <laughs> it is a multi-generational It really is. Thing. And that goes into my first but why, though. It's really important because its long history is important. It's just been around for so long. Like, I don't know. I don't know, like, why, like, 61 years puts it more in context, but, like, so long. Oh, yeah. Well, especially because at least long. when I was a kid, it was, like, anything that I saw on TV, I assumed was, like, new because it was new to me. And so yeah. the idea of, like, not only is this not new, this is older than your parents. Yep. Is, like, that's completely confusing to me. Yeah, for sure. And one of and one of the reasons I think that like it's it's because Adrian you said like hearing the number sixty one puts it in perspective. I think one of the reasons why hearing the number does that is because it's been through multiple revivals, um, and that's really what has kept it going. I mean, obviously it, it's kind of timeless that people still watch the black and white ones today. Yeah, I was gonna say um, I think it's because of the timeless. Mm-hmm. Like Alex talking about watching it, you know over and over again still on new year's and they still do the reruns every year i think that would play more into like obviously the revivals are important but the fact that the originals are still being played yeah yeah no no like that's important too but the first revival actually lasted from 1985 to 1998 and introduced an entire new generation to this however because a lot of the not all of them but a lot of those episodes are um like remakes of the original episodes um, a lot of people still go back to the originals because, you know, as usual, they did it better, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. So with the first revival, which ran from 1985 to 1998, it was ultimately Sterling's decision to bring the series back to the network that eventually allowed um, the Twilight Zone revival to happen at CBS. Um, as an in-house production for CBS, it stood to earn more money producing The Twilight Zone than it could by purchasing a new series produced outside of the company. The network was slow to consider their rival, but they ended up taking it on. Is that a common thing? Is that why we're getting so many reboots? Because people are cheap? Yep. yep. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the really cool thing about this is the production team involves Rod Sterling, Buck Howden, and the very famous Francis Ford Coppola. Hmm. Then you also have Rod Sterling's Lost Classics. In the early 1990s, Richard Matheson and Carol Sterling Hmm. produced an outline for a two-hour made-for-TV movie, which would feature Matheson's adaptations of three yet-unfilmed Rod Sterling short stories. Outlines for such a production were rejected by CBS until early 1994, when Sterling's widow discovered a complete shooting script for Where Where the Dead Are, um, authored by Rod, while rummaging through their garage. So kind of similar to the Tolkien stuff. So if you're going to die and don't want your work made after you're dead, just burn it all. Also, this we should note that is the the Richard Matheson of I Am Legend yep. fame. So yeah, so essentially the Lost Classics are indeed that they're forgotten scripts, and they were brought to life in 1994. Then you have the revival number two, which aired on UPN in 2002, so only four years after the first revival, and this was actually hosted by a young Forrest Whitaker. How old is Forrest Whitaker? If we're going by young Forrest Whitaker. Oh, wait, is he? Hold on. Anyway, it has a Forrest Whitaker. I mean, you said a young is... in 2002. That means he's like 40. That's still young. He's not in his 50s yet. Anyway, 
these were broadcasted in a one hour format as opposed to the 23 um the 23 minute segments that they were initially and it essentially would compute it was composed of two half hour stories but it was canceled after one season and i honestly can't remember ever seeing a single episode of this and there might be a reason for that I, I, yeah, I don't I think I've ever it. seen one. I know, well, and I don't even know that I've even seen it really Mm-mm. discussed. I've seen people talk about how the 80s revival mm-hmm. is yep. really good and better than we remember, but I've not seen people talk about this. So, what one. channel is actually UPN at this point? It is the CW because it was WB, UPN, yeah. CW, and I only know that because of Buffy and Supernatural. Okay. <laughs> well, there's your the first problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, UPN had a lot yeah, of Yeah, because if it has that production value. Ugh. Yeah, well, but it's also like UPN was like a really struggling channel. Like its tenure as a as a network isn't that long. You just literally told us four different channels that it became. Well, no, like WB was its own channel. And then those rights changed over to UPN. And then UPN's rights changed over to CW. But they were they were run by different teams. That make any sense? Oh, I know what you're saying. I'm just saying that would be the point of the struggle of UPN. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't yeah, yeah. whatever, yeah. whatever, Matt. Anyway, um, and now we are on our third revival. Um, and the third revival was initially pitched in February 2013 by Brian Singer. Unfortunately, because that dude is terrible. Um, he was initially attached to the development and was aiming to have a-list actors appear in the revival the following month he told ign that a writer with whom he had previously worked was in negotiations to join the revival and essentially none of it pans out thankfully and then in 2016 you it was reported that ken levine would write and direct the pilot episode of the revival series it was also reported that the series would be interactive yeah yeah mm. is that when no. we're going with those things okay in what are ken levine's credentials that he would be a person for this no all i think of is the bioshock guy ken levine i mean that's not the worst person to write it rapture is pretty pretty damn twilight twilight zone yes he was ken levine's interactive twilight zone movie might not happen yeah so he was attached to the movie and the revival oh weird that could that could have been fun to do a movie maybe not give him a whole series like bandersnatch but for a small segment I'm I'm confused. Is this like cuz I'm looking up Ken Levine. Is this yes, BioShock yes. guy or no, is this it's, Cheers it's, guy it's, or is that the same Bioshock person? Guy. That's what we just That's what okay. Wait, there's a che- getting... there is a Cheers centric Ken Levine? Yeah, I IMDb was the first thing that came up. Cheers, it's... Frasier and Mash. Uh, oh man, it's... what I wouldn't give for a Frasier oh, style God, Twilight no. Zone. Don't, don't put that into the world. <laughs> don't put that into the world. Make it happen yeah. internet. Yeah, this dude wrote on like all of like the seventies and eighties stuff, like Mash, Wings, Cheers, Wing. Yeah, yeah, that dude's got a brand. That's <laughs> yeah. why Alex said he wouldn't mind seeing it, and that's why I said Rapture wouldn't be bad. Yeah, he's he's Bioshock director Ken Levine, the guy who disowned Bioshock too. Anyway, in twenty seventeen. Um, it was reported that Jordan Peele was developing a reboot of the series for streaming services, CBS All Access, with Marco Ramirez serving as the potential showrunner. And that twenty that same year, uh, obviously, CBS All Access ended up ordering 
a revival of the series. And pretty much I'm not going to go through what I have written here, but Jordan Peele, Marco Ramirez, and Simon Kimberg are the executive, are the executive computers, com, yeah, exec, exec, eh, I can't speak, executive producers on the series. And it debuted uh, April 1st. And the first episode is free on YouTube right now. Um, and that one stars Ka, uh, Camille Nanjiani as the comedian. And it's weird. It's it's weird. I still hate CBS All Access. Yeah. Oh, me too. But I'll st- I'm going to get it for this. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's what's wrong. I, I haven't finished that first episode yet, but what I've seen of you it, I really enjoyed. should get it. Enjoyed. And the concept yeah, that's of the that was gonna be my question. Like, are like what? Even though Twilight Zone's big, like, why do you think just because they want people to come watch? Because Jordan Peele's big, they and they think people money. are gonna just get CB All yep. Access. Just same for reason Twilight for Star Trek. Trek. The same so reason Star Trek. Here's on what there. they're banking on. You love Jordan Peele, and you all want a simpler time when America at least felt less problematic, despite still being deeply. And you problematic, want Jordan Peele to play with is, that time, like he does. Yeah. So things that remind you of your childhood. Uh, or like being younger, which is the Twilight Zone, something that you watched as reruns. So like they are banking hard on Jordan Peele and nostalgia. Which that right now. being said, with the amount of money that Us made opening weekend, it's not a bad bank. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. Like I'm like this is a smart move, but I know that you are. Oh like, yeah, it is. It's terrible. It's the same reason why their first launch show was Star Trek Discovery because they knew that people were going to go to it. Yeah, I hate CBS. Access. And I mean, honestly, they—I think they probably started taking Peel seriously as soon as Get mm-hmm. Out did, as well as it did. Did I mention yep. that I hate CBS All Access? Yes. Okay. You oh, did. and they're trying to revive One Day at a Time, but Netflix won't give them the rights. That is infuriating. Yep. That is for another day. Another day. Don't get your contracts canceled. You can't do anything for two years until after from Netflix. Well, I mean, to be fair, that's how a lot of things are, though. No, it's fair. It's definitely not saying fair. it's right, but that's, that's why we'll never it. see Daredevil again. I'm talking about even just from like job wise. Oh yeah, non compete clauses are terrible. Um. Anyway, so that's kind of where we are in terms of the show itself. It's it spans literal decades. Um. Then I think that that's just really a testament to what Alex said. Like I know you're talking about the original, but like. This is an intergenerational show, and it has essentially mm-hmm. come at peak times in cultural production, right? Like the 50s into the 60s, and then you have the 80s and 90s, and then now you have the the late teens. Like all of these are big um, cultural moments, mm-hmm. right, that are defining things. Yeah, that's really interesting. I know I saw a while ago there was an article about how um, – the, or the theory posited was that the only trend that matches with the popularity of zombies is civil unrest. Oh shit! Yeah, that makes sense. And that when the when that when civil unrest is spiking, zombie popularity spikes. And I'm wondering if there's something here about the eras in which Twilight Zone gets successful in terms of how people are feeling. That's fair. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. I will say, is Jordan Peele going to do anything in black and white that we know of? I don't know, but he should. <laughs> I would love that, yeah. Yeah, no, there, there's, so I will say this, so far as it comes to, one, Jordan Peele's productions in general, like anything coming out of Monkey Paw, um, who mm-hmm. is working on the Twilight Zone, um, which is great, because like he started yeah. that company and it's killing it, and he's talked a lot about... What a great well, company yeah. name. And, like, and the other name. thing is... 
too is he's like his main thing was like i'm just gonna make my own stuff why am i just gonna be an actor i can be a producer <laughs> and he's kind of proven mm -hmm. it but like they keep their stuff under really strict lock and key so we yeah. know nothing we know nothing about his next well, movie did you see there was some article about like Jordan Peele decide like just smoking weed and deciding he was going to yep. take over Hollywood. It's such a good article. <laughs> and people were like, "This is," people like, "This is great. This is like one hundred percent a yep. mood." It is perfect, and Jordan Peele is a cinnamon bun, and I, I love him. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know if I'll ever do anything back and white. I think he will. We know that he has a third movie to complete his social horror trilogy that he's doing, but we don't know what it's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays in that sandbox. Because that that's like the yeah. one horror element that he hasn't really touched on. Yeah. Now here's the, here's the question. Quick theorizing, and then we'll get back to Twilight Zone. He did race. He did class. Is next gender sexuality? What what's his next big social probably, horror? Topic? I would say probably gender. Well, but he also did no. Yeah, I'd probably say gender. It's probably what he's gonna do. That's that's kind of what I'm. But feeling. and it makes sense if, if it's the last one because like tackling gender as that is actually really hard because as a genre, horror is fairly progressive. So that's a hard mm -hmm. that's a hard one to tackle and be different. Yeah, but if he can do a a gender or sexuality film that isn't just a rape revenge movie, I'll be yeah, super on board. Yeah. Yeah. Back to Twilight. Zone. Anyway, Twilight he's Zone. He's gonna huh? set it in a bar. Where everybody knows your name is going <laughs> to, to bring it back to Cheers. <laughs> We're going to get Kelsey Grammer. You tell me Henley. he couldn't play like in a horror movie right now. Yeah. Oh, Kelsey Grammer could one hundred percent be in a horror movie. <laughs> Actually, that is very terrifying. Like, um, imagine Kelsey Grammer. Imagine Kelsey Grammer in his Fraser tone giving the American Psycho Huey Lewis. Oh, telling you, yeah, exactly. No, that is awful. I don't know. Keep those two. Talking about how they really came into their own, both musically don't and commercially. Don't cross the streams. Let's, we're going to leave those two things very separate because they can. <laughs> this is now stuck in my head, and I'm going to have nightmares about Kelsey Grammer oh, murdering God. me. Uh, Adrian's just like, why am I on this podcast? But it fits perfectly, though. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it <laughs> um beyond the revivals the twilight zone also had a movie that came out in 1983 and it was produced by steven spielberg it starred dan Aykroyd, albert brooks john lithgow and the late vic morrow and scatman carruthers um the film remade three classic episodes of the original series and included the original story john landis directed the prologue and the first segment steven spielberg directed the second joe dante the third and george miller directed the final one landis's episode became notorious for a helicopter accident during filming that caused the deaths of morrow and two child actors so i don't remember anything about Oof. this other than dan uh Aykroyd. Being in here. I remember watching it because I remember Dan Aykroyd being in here. That's all I remember. I like... Do you remember Dan Aykroyd or his forehead? Well, I mean... Always the forehead. I knew the forehead with Dan Aykroyd. Put that much. Um, so the other but why, though, and this is going to sound mundane, but it's actually really interesting, is it's good. That's the but why, though. It is good. Um, and the reason I say this okay. is because Federal Commission's Communication Chair Newton Minow um, is well known for hating television. He saw television, and this is a quote from him, as a vast wasteland. I like this guy and already. 
in in vast Ooh. wasteland he saw it as television being nothing other than um how do i put it mindless pretty much i, so, I like this guy even okay. more um yeah and this is what a lot of people thought about television at the time, because they saw drama stories essentially that had been neutered by censorships, that it ends up being really mundane, really limiting, and the exact same thing happening all the time. But that being said, by the end of the 1950s, after Rod Serling had become famous for Patterns and Requiem and Heavyweight and The Comedium, he was able to, to transition into the Twilight Zone, which actually got praise from Newton Minow. Um, when he's giving his his long old man takedown of television, he said that there were indeed some excellent television programs on three existing national networks. And one of the ones that he named was the Twilight Zone. And a and a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Twilight Zone took a, took genre and turned it into a vehicle for uh, talking about real problems, real issues, and making things interesting and sticking with people after they watched it. So essentially, it's good as a but why though, because the dude who hated television and had and the, and the FCC chair and technically had the power to pull stuff from television liked it. Man. Yep. Yeah, that's great. So this brings us into our other but why, though, and probably the largest but why, though, is social justice. And the reason I put social justice um, is just because the bulk of Sterling's writing on these shows has to do with things like morality, human rights, racism, overall bigotry, and other forms of ill within the world, as a lot of science fiction does, honestly. So what does but the 99 out of 156 mean? 99 out of 156 means out of 150, 156 episodes of The Twilight Zone, Rod Serling wrote 99 of them. Okay. So essentially, this is his baby. This is his work. And it's one of those that you can't argue that there is none of this in The Twilight Zone because Rod Serling himself said that there was. And he penned the vast majority of the works, essentially. Um, so the Twilight Zone's writers frequently use science fiction as a vehicle for social comment, as networks and sponsors who censored controversial material from live genres were not concerned with fantasy and sci-fi stories. Serling's creative strategy was to set the narratives in an imaginary setting with fantastical characters, but to give them greater resonance and relevance by making them about something. So this is one of the reasons why things, um, you have like Buck Rogers, and Flash Gordon that are going on at the same time in the sci-fi space. And people remember them and people are kind of nostalgic for them, but they don't have a lasting impact in this type of sense. Like they are known mm -hmm. and revered for their impacts on the genre, but they're not necessarily something that is in as intergenerational as this show. Um, and so, ultimately, the use of futuristic settings and narratives to convey social messages and political arguments isn't new to science fiction. This is something that has been around since science fiction's inception, um, often credited to Mary Shelley in Frankenstein's font with Frankenstein. Um, but on TV, this was something that was different. This was pushing the boundaries and doing something new. 
Uh, and Serling was one of the first people to realize that if you put something in the guise of science fiction, horror, or any other sort of genres, sponsors wouldn't care what was happening. And if this sounds familiar, it's because it's exactly what Gene Roddenberry did with the Star Trek franchise in the 1960s. It's how he had the first interracial kiss. And this is, and when you take this into sci-fi, this is how we got deep commentary on the mm -hmm. ills of ills of racism and exclusionary and even like uh education uh there's a really interesting episode that he has where it, it shows a school just completely focused on discipline and it's essentially a commentary on how um a bad education system just conditions kids to listen and doesn't actually teach children um which is a lot to say at that time um so overall, the politics of the real world and on our planet continues with events with struggle with individual and collective success and failure. And the fictional world of science fiction continues to be reinterpreted, newly invented, and widely attended to in our culture by taking in those things from our world that already exist. Science fiction is what we see happening either for the better or for worse of humanity. And it's, I would say... This is why science fiction and horror out of the genres, you know, I, I respect fantasy, but when you look at these mm -hmm. two things, they're, they're completely centered and focused on where humanity is placed, our worries about it, and how we either fix it or succumb to it. And those are two integral things of sci-fi and horror, and it's also one of the reasons why sci-fi and horror get so closely lumped together or are subgenres of each okay. other. That's my genre yeah. feel. Yeah, no, uh no, that was that was good. I completely agree. No, I just think about like we talk about all this stuff and we talk about the message and everything, but like I guess doing the fantastical characters. And I believe once you get characters that are, are great and people actually enjoy, you can convey better messages than when you get characters that just suck. Where you they, What do you mean by fantastical characters? Well, cuz he said imaginary settings with fantastical characters give them greater resonance. So he focused on his actual characters so what they did. Correct? Yeah, and he had to because if he right. had done what he wanted to do, the censors would not have, and I have an example of that, the censors would not have let him actually put it on television. So like, instead, he had to put them in the guise of something else. Okay. Yeah, because essentially, like, it's not we, the censors liking it or disliking it. It's the censors saying, oh, that's an alien. They're not talking about something that is happening now and not even evaluating it at all. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, we just talked about this on our Star Trek episode on what we talked about of how like people will take their education if it's like wrapped in entertainment. And so making analogies and metaphors and whatever is a great way to like put a message out there and let people mm -hmm. digest it and kind of learn about it. Yeah, and, and you see Which is just kind of like <clears throat> the point of like, I guess in a better context of like doing that with using your character things than you, the other parts of the actual show. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, that that's fair, and I think, and I definitely think too, like this changes, and I, and we're gonna see it change in Jordan Peele's revival, obviously, because one, CBS All Access is a streaming platform, so there's less of that that ads and sponsors, and then obviously we're not in a like, mm -hmm. we have integrated spaces now, so like that's a completely different thing, um, than yeah. the worlds that Rod Serling was living in and trying to make these these comments, like essentially. Rod Serling started in drama, but left it because he couldn't say what he wanted to say. He went to science fiction yeah. and horror, or mostly science. He, he would classify this as science fiction, but this is some of those elements cross into horror because he could use it as a vehicle to say what he wanted to say. So instead of not saying it, he yeah. just found a way to kind of be like a Trojan horse. 
which is great. I mean, what I'm realizing now is that, un- like, until Kingdom Come, until the apocalypse or a utopia or now. whatever it is that ends <laughs> our our current way, like, un- until we reach that perfect society, whatever it looks like, there will always be room for the exactly. Twilight Zone. Yes. Exactly. Um, and that's another reason why it's all timeless. Um, I mean, all, all the stuff that I'm say- saying just kind of wraps up into it's timeless. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, like the fact that they did like episode, like an episode about beauty standards with the plastic surgery episode in the '60s or whatever, and it's like, oh, we haven't really got past this. Mm-hmm. Like this episode still works. And ultimately, like the frequent scenes, the frequent themes of it were nuclear war, McCarthyism, mass hysteria. Um, as well as uh, as well as racism, overall ethics and philosophy that are also included. But I wanted to call out two specific episodes because they get a lot of play whenever you're dissecting and looking at stuff. And the first is the monsters on Maple Street, and I have the introduction and the closing. So you have the introduction narrator and the the introductory narration before the event happens, and then you have the closing narration after the event happens. It kind of summarizes it. And so this says, Maple Street, USA, late summer. A tree-lined little world of front porch gliders, barbecues, the laughter of children, and the bell of an ice cream vendor. At the sound of the roar and the flash of the light, it will be precisely 6.43 p.m. on Maple Street. This is Maple Street on a late Saturday afternoon. Maple Street, in the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came. Essentially... Uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street is literally what it says. And if you don't notice, if you haven't noticed by now, a lot of these titles are exactly what happens in the show. Um, and yeah. you have this nice little suburban town and you ha- end up having it. Um, you end up having it taken over, not taken over, but like it introduces the other. Um, and the reason I'm, I'm kind of being broad with this is because the 80s version did a... Um, did a re-up on this where they use terrorism as as the uh, kind of as the other that they're talking about um but initially it had to do with um integration um integration as well as the fear of communism so it kind of played two things so mccarthyism and racism um because one of the big issues uh, facing the black community uh, at this time um was housing integration um you had a lot of suburbs greatly greatly segregated and so ultimately, by the end, um, the, the, the takeaway narration is this. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill and suspicion can destroy. And a thoughtless, frightened search for a scapegoat has a fallout all of its own for the children and the children yet born. And the pity of it is that these beings cannot be confined to the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Essentially, they know they're monsters, but they can't tell what it is, and they pretty much just end up finding the scapegoat. And it's it's really effective, and it, I believe, I think it's it should be available on Hulu. All the episodes are available on Hulu from the original Twilight Zone. I would, I would highly recommend people watch um, this one um, specifically because it's really interesting, and yeah. it, it's one that I got shown in middle school, actually, in my English class. And I, I think that this is one of those ones that comes up pretty consistently on like top lists of yes. Twilight Zone episodes. Mm-hmm. So that too, if you don't know where to start, look up a list of like, what are the 20 best episodes? Yep. And, you know, yeah, it'll show you the, the best of the best and everything else you watch might not be as good, but you will see just how important and powerful this is. And it's a place is. to start too, because this is a large, large history to go through. The next episode 
It was 146 episode and it's called I Am the Night, Color Me Black. And in it, you essentially have a man who has to go through with an execution, even though he knows that it, the guy doesn't deserve it. He knows the guy is innocent because the guy who testified against him was convicted of perjury. And, and he has to deal with the town and the guilt, but then the town has to deal with the consequences of what happens. So Sheriff Charlie Coke on the morning of an execution. As a matter of fact, it is 7.30 in the morning. Logic and natural laws dictate that this is the hour there should be daylight. It is a simple rule of physical science that the sun should rise at a certain moment and supersede the darkness. But at this given moment, Sheriff Charlie Coke, a deputy named Pierce- Is it Coke or Koch? I keep wanting to say Koch. It's Coke. It's Coke. Okay. It's like the Coke brothers. Sheriff Charlie Coke, Matt, a deputy named Pierce, a condemned man named Jagger, and a small inconsequential village will shortly find out that there are causes and effects that have no precedent. Such is usually the case in the Twilight Zone. Um, essentially, after they hang the man, darkness falls upon the entire town. It consumes it. And they end up, uh, I think it's like a radio or a TV, I think it's a radio in the background that ends up letting you know that it's taken over the entire world. Um, and every other place that has hate is also being consumed by darkness. The ending narration says, a sickness known as hate, not a virus, not a microbe, not a germ, but a sickness nonetheless, highly contagious, deadly in its effects. Don't look for it in the twilight zone. Look for it in the mirror. Look for it before the light goes out altogether. So, I mean, I could, I could like not tell you what either of those episodes are about, and you would pretty much understand what those episodes are about. Um, and that's kind of, that's really par for the course. Um, of course you have like other things that are really tropey and, you know, really fun, but I would say the, the large bulk of Serling's work deals with this. And then you also have other stories like the masks, I dream a genie, I dream a genie, Mr. Denton on doomsday, where they were allegories, parables, or fables that reflected moral and philosophical choices for the characters themselves. And this is the one where the guy with the where the guy with the glasses comes into play. Um, ultimately, it, it wasn't unusual for writers to encounter regular interference with the content of their scripts from sponsors, even before they were, before they started shooting, um, who feared their products could be in unfavorable light or that certain themes might alienate audience members and potential customers. Uh, one of the biographers provides a specific example, uh, one of Rod Serling's, Biographers provides a specific example where uh, he ended up having like a commercially motivated censorship. Um, and this is called, it was called Noon on Doomsday and it was kept off the air. Mm. Um, this is from 1956. Um, it was supposed to be an episode inspired by the murder mm. of Emmett Till. Um, and if you don't know that, <laughs> you should know it. Um, it's probably one of the most influential cases in the civil rights movement and and today um and it was where a young uh young black boy had been kidnapped and killed um lynched um by two white men who were later exonerated on all counts um in spite of all evidence and witnesses against them doing it and it was because they assumed that he had flirted with a white woman assumed and he's he's a boy he's i think he was 14 years old um mm -hmm. well Rod Serling wanted to make an episode on it, and ultimately he couldn't. 
Um, Serling described with his interviewer, Mike Wallace, what had happened to the script. And he said, I wrote the script using black and white skinned characters initially. And then the black was changed to suggest an unnamed foreigner. And the locale was moved from the South to New England. I'm convinced they would have gone to Alaska or the North Pole and use Eskimos, except that the costume problems was sufficient with sufficient severity not to attempt. So essentially, there is, if, if you Google, just Google Noon on Doomsday and PR, and you'll get an entire podcast episode talking about the stage production that ended up happening of the script, because people do have the script, um, but it's never made it to air. Um, but you can hear it in podcast form if you want to. What's the uh, what's the over-under that Jordan Peele oh, does I'm something on Oh, I'm pretty sure it? he's going to do it. He should. Oh, I want that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he kind of has to, right? Honestly, I think there's an expectation for him to. If they if they have the it. script and he can just use that, yeah, because it's it's been a play already. Um, that's what the NPR episode is about. Yeah, then they then he should definitely just be like, I'm just yeah, because I mean, and it makes sense too. Is like this was a story that you couldn't tell back then, even in sci-fi. This is something you you can tell now, um, and especially with with Peel's position and ability to, mm-hmm. I, I I think he. I think it would be great for him to um, because it, it's a lost Twilight Zone episode pretty much. And it's one that never that never made it. Yeah. So beyond and kind of intertwined with the social justice messages of the Twilight Zone is ultimately being a better person is taught through the Twilight Zone. Now, there is a self-help book called Everything I Need to Know I Learned from the Twilight Zone, which contains 50 life lessons drawn from the classic series. But on top of that, there are a whole bunch of syllabi about teaching ethics, biomedical ethics, and philosophy through the Twilight Zone and using different episodes as a kind of talking points to get your class started and then pulling out from it, which I think is really, really cool. The guy who wrote who wrote that, the initial book that I mentioned, um, Dawidziak? Um, he commented saying that there are concerns with racism and prejudice and bigotry that runs all through LeBrod Serling's work and an awareness of what we need to be, the tolerance we need to survive as a people, as a society, as a nation, as a planet. And that was one of the big takeaways that he had. And it's also something that he's taken into, um, that a lot of professors have taken into teaching about these these areas. Because one of the things, and especially like I come from a background teaching pretty volatile topics, um, you need a you need a way for students to get their feet wet and kind of be introduced to it. And if you can use a visual medium, a movie, uh, even music, honestly, it doesn't have to be visual, but like usually a, a movie, a yeah. television show, something that's within their pop culture lexicon, it's a lot easier to unpack these things and teach. Um, and because ultimately, even though, even though this is classified as adult sci-fi and it's one of the first times we get adult sci-fi adult driven sci-fi that isn't buck rogers or flash gordon um this is something that is accessible to a wide range of ages um now ultimately um like how do i say it um the way that this that this kind of like gets spurred in philosophy classes and ethics classes is because it all centers around this message of you're not what you took yourself to be you're not where you thought you were um it looks beneath the facade of american society and looks at the monsters the clones the robots that kind of live underneath it um and and tells the stories 
And then it's beyond just influencing how people can be a better person or, you know, having these really weighty topics. Um, you know, the, the big, big things. things. Um, it's in other media everywhere. There are video games about it, actually. The first game came out in 1964. It was a board game. Um, so the Twilight, the Twilight Zone game uh, was released at the height of the show's popularity. And it was a game that consisted of a cardboard playing surface, four colored pieces, and a colored spinning wheel, and a 12-inch door, and 12 door playing cards. Um, I don't know much about it beyond that, but I want to play it. And it sounds pretty fun. In 1988, Gigabit Systems published a text adventure video game for Amiga and the PC. Based on the Twilight Zone in 1992, Midway Games, I'm pretty sure we've said this we've on all played other this episodes. Game. Yeah. Um, release a wide body pinball game, The Twilight Zone, based on the original TV series, as a Bali title conceived by Pat Lauer. And that's, that's all we really care about, it's a pinball game. Ain't much to it. Um, beyond that, you also have literature. Um, Surly novelized several of his original scripts, which were published in his anthologies, Stories from the Twilight Zone, More Stories from the Twilight Zone, New Stories from the Twilight Zone. And all of these have been... This is like some Planet of the Apes. It really is, but it's the 50s. So do we expect more? Or That's 60s, fair. yeah. They were published in 60, 61, and 62. And they've been reprinted multiple times, including an omnibus called The Twilight Zone, The Complete Stories that was published in 1980. They didn't believe in clickbait back then. They just told you what it was. Yep. <laughs> in 1985, Doll Books published the anthology books Journeys to the Twilight Zone, which were 16 stories edited by Carol Serling, including Rob Serling's Suggestion. Um, with funny quotes at the name of a name of a story um and return to the twilight zone which was 18 stories also edited by carol which included the soul savior um soul like your shoe um and then you also have the adventures of the twilight zone which are 24 stories also edited by carol and including the lindemans catch and in 2009 tour books published twilight zone 19 original stories on the 50th anniversary to mark the 50th anniversary of the series and it contains stories by 20 authors such as R.L. Stein and Timothy Zahn, as well as an introduction by uh, Carol Serling, his wife. And then there are also comic books. There are just a lot of comic books. There are comic books since 1961. That's all I'm going to say, because it's, it's That's, a lot. Yeah. And we're talking thousands of issues on like one run. Uh, the most recent comic books came from Dynamite Entertainment, which ran a multiple issue series in, 19, in uh, 2013. Um, then, of course, like you it. had the Twilight Zone radio series, which began in 2002, where episodes of the original Twilight Zone were adapted for radio, which uh, with Stacey Keach taking Serling's role as narrator, and it was produced by Carol Amari and Falcon Picture Group. Anyway, the last thing on in a whole bunch of media is that there is the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror ride at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Um and Twilight Zone Tower of Terror is a theme park attraction, and that's pretty much it. It's in Disney stuff. <laughs> it's great. I liked it. I thought it was really fun. Um, and it is inspired uh, for the 1997 TV film Tower of Terror, which bears no connection to the attraction of the Twilight Zone, which is the other, the other, yeah, because they just kind of like, if you don't know, Disney kind of just slaps names on rides and renames them. Yeah. Um. Kind of like what Six Flags 
I know, I know, like this is like a small note, but what's up with the Japan one? Only because we're going to Tokyo, and I'm just confused. I'm just really confused, and I want to see it. It's not themed to the Twilight Zone due to cultural differences and constraints in licensing on Oriental Land Company. I'm reading the Wikipedia page. It says the storyline of the attraction is more complex than any of the American or European counterparts. <laughs> now I'm super interested, <laughs> and I need to know who's doing the voiceover in in this one. Okay, continue. Sorry. The final but why, though, is the impact that The Twilight Zone has had on film, television, and pretty much any source of media um, that has come after it. Um, one of the big things is the use of anthology series. Um, so anthology series or this type of breakup has had been used before, um, but not, not to this effect, not for this long, not for that many episodes. And it becomes mm. a staple in um, both horror and science fiction. Um, and you also have its direct influence on some of the, I mean, the, the, I think the Twilight Zone can be considered a gateway into science fiction and horror all on its own. But because of its format, you also have things like Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark that serve as a gateway for a different generation. Yeah. Now you have a Black Mirror, um, and then you also have Electric, Dream Electric Dreams on Amazon Prime from Philip K. Dick. Um, and you have a whole bunch of horror anthology movies, like the VHS series, the Rec series, um, uh, ABC's A Death. Like, this is just kind of the way to do things. It's a very specific style, and it's a style that really lends a strength to short, concise storytelling, but with a with a bigger impact, in my opinion. I, I always find my the anthology films yeah. that I see are some of my favorites most of the time. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then of course, um, the big one is twist endings. Twist endings is probably the largest thing, and if you uh, you can just guess, Ebony Night Shyamalan is highly influenced by the Twilight Zone. I am not making a joke; he really, really is. Um, but up until now, like narrative, the narratives that were existing, especially in drama but even in the existing genre shows were really um monster of the week pretty much they were straightforward you didn't have big revealing things but in the twilight zone because of the very nature of it it stood to start in one place at the beginning and pull you completely through to the twilight zone at the end which meant that the nature of every single episode you can expect something to happen and in those hundred and something episodes like i'm still like creeped out uncomfortable by a lot of them the other thing which i already mentioned is the fact that this is adult this is uh credited as some of the first adult science fiction on television which breaks from a tradition of um like i've mentioned them a whole bunch but like flash gordon flash gordon uh buck rogers you have lost in space all of these other like really kitty geared themes um and then mm -hmm. you have the twilight zone which kind of broke that and then you have all the inspiration that he's given to so many people, and this isn't all of them, um, honestly. But J.J. Um, Abrams' entire Cloverfield universe, so Cloverfield, um, 10 Cloverfield Lane and the Cloverfield Paradox, where J.J. Uh, Abrams has talked about him being inspired by the Twilight Zone in having small twists, but also having them all be connected in a shared universe. Like the like Cloverfield is its own Twilight Zone, and that was kind of cemented with the Cloverfield Paradox. Um, that was kind of the kernel for that. Hmm. Um, you also have um, Gene Roddenberry, Stephen King, Tim Burton, Duncan Jones, 
um, to list a couple of the people that were influenced, Jordan Peele, um, and then to name a few of the full-on movies that were made about this, um, that were made, that were pretty much uh, episodes made into it. You have Planet of the Apes, which is essentially yeah. I shot an arrow into the air. You have Poltergeist, which is the episode Little Girl Lost. You have The Truman Show, which is the episode Special Service. You have The Sixth Sense, which is the episode An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. And you have Final Destination. But only the first is, one. Huh? But only, only the very first one. Okay, Matt. That is the best one. Two isn't that bad, though. Um, Final Destination, which is, influ which is pretty much an adaptation of 22. Um, not to mention all of the TV episodes and actual legit Twilight Zone remakes that happen from its longevity. So, like, ultimately, these stories, and I think it has to do with kind of what Alex said, like, these are problems we still have that make them really good things, like, really good kernels to build on for filmmakers and storytellers, that, and that's why it's inspired so many people. Um, the other thing too is tech anxiety. So, um, I mean, science fiction has been dealing with this fear of technology for, for a very long time, mm -hmm. but having any sort of visualization of that doesn't exist until the Twilight Zone, um, where they really take on this this fear of the future, um, as opposed to like this retrofuturism, um, like um, it's, it's like rate it. There's an actual name for it, but like the, this fascinating. Ret yeah, like the, yeah. There's another. It's like Reagan something, but yeah, retrofuturism, where like everybody was so um, obsessed with the future and they weren't thinking about the problems that it could yeah. be. Uh, the Twilight Zone was something that really looked at those problems and saw that anxiety kind of come full form. Hmm. So that's why I have a bunch of people who hate technology and we are stuck. Well, no, because you could also say about that, like the other stuff. I mean. We don't hate technology, and we all watched iRobot. And let's be real, some technology should be more hated than it That's is. That's fair. Skynet. Like, like, as it stands, we're maybe not afraid enough of technology, but it's because we're not knowledgeable enough to be afraid of it. Pretty much. <laughs> or we're afraid... <laughs> like, watching, like, watching Black Mirror and seeing people be like, oh, isn't that freaky? I'm like, guys, they're working on this. This isn't fiction. Like, yeah. But I mean, but I mean, I guess from the standpoint of Alex says that we have problems that aren't solved, should be more worried. I mean, about technology versus, I guess, the actual people because we haven't actually solved any of these problems still. So what it's not like mean? humans aren't progressing in a way better fashion than like technology. I don't understand what you're talking about. Because the fear, like what comes from the Twilight Zone, it's this fear of technology. So it's the fear of something that's advancing is going to take something from what you're doing already. Okay. I don't know. What are you asking? I guess. Never mind. Well, because you said that if we should be worried about the technology and not the people, I don't understand what you what you were asking. No, you said we should be like the fear of technology and advancing and stuff, but obviously we haven't actually solved any of the problems, as Alex has said, from these shows in the first part. So, are we actually advancing, and should we be actually more afraid of technology advancing, or actually humans who have not advanced? Well, I, I guess it's this thing of we always want to believe the best about our ourselves and that we are getting better and that we are improving and whether or not that's true varies from person to person, culture to culture, city to city. Um, and, and I think ultimately, like they're they're both things that need to be addressed. Like technology progressing enables us to do great and wonderful things, but it also enables us to do great and terrible things. 
And so we have to look at our hearts and how we're applying these new discoveries and these new inventions. Like we figured out that an atom had as much power as it did in it. And we could have powered a city or we could have destroyed a city and we picked to destroy one. Like those are telling moments in our cultural history. Like technology is this constant, like second attempt or, or uh, every time there's a new technology, a new discovery, it gives us another shot at Eden, another shot at paradise. And we have to choose what we're going to do with it. Uh, and a lot of the time we end up doing something bad with it where it's like, we feel like, I mean, if you look at the gun as an evolution of the bow and arrow, excellent for hunting or killing other people. It really just depends where our hearts are. So I think that's onto something that we have to address like a heart problem, but also like, it's not necessarily like that we need to slow our roll as far as technology goes. Matt? Well, Alex understood me. <laughs> I should because I guess because I guess I'm always just like like for me like the like like one of the biggest things in science fiction is like this use of technology and where it goes. Essentially, like that's always the biggest thing. Like that's why there are so many post-apocalyptic yeah. t- like science fiction stories or uh, robots taking over the world stories because it's mm-hmm. this fear of how far we're progressing. But we um, also it, get it's... that because like. I mean, I guess we don't always get that, but we do get the whole sense of, like, robots becoming self-aware if we like, humans are actually terrible. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, ultimately, like, when it comes down to it, and I guess I guess is what you were asking, but, like, what Alex said, is, like, science fiction is, is obsessed with the what do we do with this technology. It's obsessed with that path, and the majority of the time, it's that negative path that happens. But yes, we, we should advance in technology and not let it hold us back. Regardless of whether or not Isaac Asimov and a whole bunch of smart people say that robots are going to kill us because we're horrible. I was like, well, and that's the thing is like, we have to, we have to like look at the moral quandaries as we go. I mean, like even something like teleportation, it sounds awesome, but nothing's actually being teleported. We're trying to develop high-speed atomic printers and then vaporizing the original. Yep. And that's kind of an uncomfortable idea. Yep. Well, we can teleport. <laughs> well, but we can't. That's the thing. It's not like Mike TV on Willy Wonka getting shrunk down and blasted across the room. It is that we printed out a new mat and we murdered the old mat. I guess that's what uh, we always. I guess I, uh, that, I. That's how I always knew teleportation worked. I work. never thought about that. <laughs> Why is that how you're? Or brain basically, works? if it's not, you basically know you tear you apart, and either we make a new you, or we have to build you back up altogether. That's where my brain went. And my brain went with the yeah. Rebuilding. I always assumed it was that you get yeah that you get dusted and rebuilt, and then. I was reading up on like how actual teleportation experiments have been going so far. And it's like, oh yeah, we were able to duplicate an atomic structure and then we, you know, dissipate the original as the, I mean, there was only two options in that. Either we blew you up and put you back together again, or we just made a new you. But I feel like the majority (laughs) of people look at the rebuilding part. Yeah. They assume that it's like the, any sufficiently advanced science looks like magic. That was how I thought of it. (laughs) There was only I, two well, options in this. Well, because like, that, that's, <laughs> I never thought about the second option. I only ever thought yes. about the one. And then as an adult, I became aware of the other, and I was horrified. Well, by my it. whole thing with it is I watched The Fly as a kid, and it me up on transportation or uh, teleportation. That too. But that's the rebuilding concept. It rebuilds you, but if you have one small thing that gets rebuilt wrong. I mean, but also depending on what we're rebuilding. I mean, we're building the cells all back together. Would you eat brand new cells? Well, that's the thing. I actually think so. I, I do want to ask. Do I come out healthier? As, 
Well, as we're ending, I want to ask the question, what sort of Twilight Zone episode do you want to see? But uh, to answer that, that's actually really interesting because then you can just, then it just turns into altered carbon and printing bodies and we have to have a way to transfer consciousness. Otherwise, you're cloning a completely different person that is not the same as a person that you killed. Well, I mean... Yeah, like if they co- yeah, if they can goes... copy the structure of your brain, but not the electric impulses and the things that form your memory and everything. I mean, we're all just a giant computer in the first place, aren't we? Yeah, I was gonna say it goes back to our Matrix episode. Like, we're one of the reasons why I stopped looking at philosophies because, like, that philosophical question, like, are you just the sum of your memories? So, like, if the person who gets torn away during the um, like, who starts the teleportation process, like, are you even the same person after that? And then you get into the altered carbon stuff, and it's just mm-hmm. can we just get like Hearthstones? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, because then there's also the <laughs> whole get that? There, there's Snickers. You're not you, and you're hungry. Like that's a philosophical question. Well, then it is also too like what what do you see as being your memories? Is it the electrical impulses, or is it the creases that you develop in your brain? As far as like talking with like biologists and other stuff that I've done for, like a lot of people I know believe the next like. I guess evolutionary form is not like actual biologically, but like machinery. So then we're looking at basically your brain and I guess your consciousness is just a computer. Yeah. And that's literally looking at data. And that's literally all of what cyberpunk type science fiction is based on. Like it's all about trading out pieces of you to create, like as long as you keep the one piece, um, you're fine. Which there's this beautiful werewolf slash, I, I, like automaton stuff happening in Love, Death, and Robots, which is really really cool. Um, and that's what I think about. But yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, it's also the same way too. Like I think a lot of technologists see, um, because you mentioned like the brain being a computer, is seeing like a direct upload of data into the brain, like being something that is that is very very much capable of us doing. Yeah, didn't they just do an experiment that they were able to duplicate memories between yep. rats yep. or something? I believe so. Because none of this is terrifying. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, because at that point, people can upload false memories to you. They can get you to confess to crimes you never committed. Correct. Like, imagine being able to murder someone and then upload the memory of the murder to another human being and frame them yeah. for it. That's my Twilight Zone episode. That. That's pretty good. Like, uh, that, just things like that. Like, the idea of wanting... Because I think the thing that genuinely does worry me as a a person in the 21st century is the way in which we are, with such hubris and recklessness, pursuing technological development without questioning the ramifications, the applications, like all those things. It's like, well, just wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? And I'm like, in theory, but we're not looking at the deeper questions here. And those, you know, like, sometimes dead is better. Sometimes we shouldn't make this thing. Like deep fakes? Yeah, when people figured out that they could use deep learning to put a face on anybody, and then now that we have WaveNet, you can make anyone say anything with enough voice samples. Yes. But Crap, didn't, we didn't, should not have a podcast. But didn't we Netflix should not already, have a podcast. Netflix just released a show like that, or a movie that had that with people messing with vision, because they did implants, correct? What do you mean? They're, they actually released a movie, I thought, like, I think three or four months ago, that was all about, like, technology where basically what you see Oh, is that that anonymous movie? I think so. I think it's anonymous. It has it huh, has. I haven't heard about the, that. The grab her boobs tells the weather girl from Mean Girls. Amanda Seyfried, Seyfried, whatever. Yeah. That, Sorry. Oh my That's how. God. Wow. You're about to get added. You're about to get added by all of like the uh, Me- Mean chick Girls flick Twitter people who love her as not oh, Mean okay. Girls. Yeah. Hey, I love rom coms, but no. 
I couldn't remember her name. Um, <laughs> she also doesn't look like herself in that movie. So she's anonymous. Yeah, Adrian, what's your Twilight Zone episode? I just—it's just like a Simpsons did it kind of situation. Like the show's been on for sixty years. I feel like if I it say does, something, it's it like, oh, Simpsons, just, uh, just Twilight Zone. Actually, I think we're actually. I think the good thing because of technology and the way we're progressing, you will always come up with new episodes. Exactly. It's like a, it's an un, it's it's like a uh, it's it's a refillable source. So long as we're creating new things, we create yeah. new problems, and those problems will spawn off different science fictions. I think something along the lines of like us wanting to connect to our dogs more, and we come up with some technology that makes us want to c- connect to our dogs or our animals, and it just. Well, I mean, goes you can already cl- you can already clone like your dog that. right now. The problem they're having is kind of like with Alex said, of you're basically building a brand new dog, and it doesn't have the same personality. No, no, I mean, I, I think that's fine. I'm just talking about, like, my dog, like, like Vader just developing having, a like, psychic link. Yeah, like, I'm going to eat that. I'm going to eat that dude. Well, that's the thing. Like, enough. I don't. Like, that's psychologically yeah, like, messed up. I don't want to know that my dog hates me. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that would mess me up real bad if we, like, well, I mean, had an they, episode about I mean, that. technically there are. Looking... I mean, that's not like, you know, social commentary and all of, like, the really great stuff that Kate and... Alex were talking about. I mean, they are, I think, adapting Morse code to, like, chickens to see if they can do it in English of how they speak. Well, the thing. People are also realizing that animals are way more sentient than they thought because the world isn't anthropomorphic. Right. But, I mean, because we don't know. That's the whole thing about with, like, the whole process of intelligent life and aliens. We could have the smartest dolphins in the world, but they're never going to build a spaceship because they can't leave the water. But I also I love want, all I, of well, those science fiction is... things where they're like, and the dolphins inherited the earth and had an entire underwater. I mean, you can, yeah. but you will never know that because they can't so leave the planet. Thanks for all the fish. Yeah. Matt, what would your Twilight Zone be? I mean, I don't. I don't know, honestly. Is it recording a podcast forever? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah this podcast never ends. It's a constant loop. I feel like that's how my days go at this point, anyways. 24 hour live podcasting. It's well, I mean, we're already pretty much close. I mean, we are close with that. People do 24 hour streams now. I mean, some guy bragged about breaking the world record because he ended up working the average, I think it was almost 17 hours a day of streaming when you broke it down in most most streamed hours in a month. And it was an average to like 16.7 hours a day. And people was like, Yeah, I'm so proud of this. And like, You literally work 16.8 hours a day. You should probably not be that proud of this. We should not be celebrating this. So maybe your Twilight Zone episode, it sounds like, would be like streaming as a form of slavery. I mean, we're already getting there anyways at this point. Oh, no, absolutely. We're already there. I mean, technology probably, I mean, the way people. It just pays better. (laughs) Well, depending on if you can actually get people to pay you. I mean, the sad part is we probably already talked about, but I mean, I think technology will probably enslave us and it probably won't be because of robots. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm going to go with the article we talked about and we brought up probably about what people are doing with addiction apps where they're trying to make people addicted to different apps and people get addicted to stuff where they can't leave and they can't. Oh, yeah. It was like a couple lines of code that would make you Yes, where they're basically messing with brain chemistry and which somehow with coding and apps. Now, people are probably terrified and probably going to go look this up. Yeah, I don't like that at all. But yes, apparently people are trying to make fight addiction by getting people addicted to apps and then trying to de-addict them for app. Or... So, for mine, 
I'm it's it's like a trope that's been done a lot, but I think it has it hasn't been done with social media so much is like I want there to be like you know how we have like these stan accounts, right? Like for people, mm-hmm. I want it to be a celebrity who like finds out that there's a stan account about them and they you know and it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. Oh, they must have read this story. And like they slowly realize that the Stan account is mapping out their entire their entire uh their entire life. And Ooh, then they try to cancel the account and then the account like does some like crazy scary stuff to them. Um like and that. then you end up like fun facting <laughs> that like it's actually like a parallel thing. Like a parallel version. Have you seen this isn't quite the same, but it's it's related. Have you seen the horror movie Cam yes. on Netflix? It's yeah, phenomenal. that's what that reminds me of. Yeah. Oh, it reminded me of the episode I believe when they do where I think it's it's one of these Goof by Fairy Dark where they basically the guy wants to be basically it ends up with like a room full basically himself, oh. and he realizes multiplicity. No, not the multiplicity one. <laughs> No, but they do the horror basically because everybody's like, oh, all these people either suck, you know, I am the best person. So they end up in a room with just themselves of like mm. every, like basically everybody comes like necessarily clones or basically different versions of themselves. And they're like, this is awful. Mm. Yeah. Because as much as people put themselves in a bubble, they don't realize sometimes your bubble sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrifying. Like, and I also wanted to be like different to Cam, right? Because like Cam, it was really her or it was it was a version of her that was actually doing stuff. But I wanted to be like, but it wasn't making like a single white female. Yeah, yeah, because like, because like, it wasn't making her do anything. It just made people think she was doing it. But I'm talking about like mm. the I like that. the Stan account is actually controlling her life. Like everything starts like oh, that's too very much good. To where every time it tweets that something is happening, she's realizing that that is like a stranger than fiction, but with social media and like death. Oh, that's such a good way to spin that. Yeah, I love that. I'm into it. I'm on board. Hire us, people. Anyway. That's it. That's the episode. Yeah, it was good. Print it. Post it. Do something with it. But yeah, no, I mean, do y'all have any last thoughts that we haven't talked about? No, I think we nailed it. I don't think No, I think you I think I think you nailed it. Um like I said, like I'm not a big horror fan, but I do like things like Black Mirror and Twilight Zone, even though like they scare me because like they make me think and like I'm okay with that with that kind of stuff and I'm excited for Jordan Peele's thing because i know what kind of like director he is so i'm looking forward to watching it because i don't buy my own cbs all access thing to watch star trek so i'm not paying any extra to watch this so i'm all for it and i i've been trying to think like is this our longest like 61 years is that the longest thing that we've covered so far yeah like what's been well what, i mean longest longer TV than that your franchise that is outside of comics yes but I mean, are we talking about something yeah, that it's, like it's goes consistently? Because obviously, we had time periods where it was not there, though. But I would count the fact, yeah. So, like, but still, I, would, I mean, Mission Impossible count- comes out about the same time, has a revival about the same time, and it's making movies at this point. But what I would say, what I would say to counter that is, in all the revivals that have happened, consequentially, like every single one of them have had remakes of the like of the existing episodes. Like episode number two of uh of Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone is Terror at a Twenty Thousand Feet, which is a remake of an existing Twilight Zone episode. So I I would say the fact that this not only began in fifty eight but has also had its media redone in its other incarnations makes it the longest running. Yeah, yeah, 
I think that's why I, I, that's like my, out of everything that you talk about, like I, I understand like all the social con commentary stuff, but like since they're redoing these episodes so many times and they're still relevant, I think the longevity of the Twilight Zone is like what my biggest but why like coming out of this and makes me excited to kind of go back and watch some old episodes and even the ones that you talked about that I haven't seen um, because they still seem that they're going to age really well over time. Because of a lot of things that you said of like, you know, we're still working through these problems and, and all that jazz. I guess my only issue with that is we're not actually going anywhere forward. If they're all still relevant in every time frame. No, that that's the sad thing. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, what do you call it? Like an episode about wrongfully accused person getting executed. That's still a thing. An episode about Emmett Till's death is still... Like, it wasn't aired, but that is something that is still relevant today. Like, it, like sadly, like, I think you're right, and it's kind of the depressing note, is that we, we, we're nowhere. But if we keep advancing technology, we'll eventually get somewhere, or the robots will kill us because we're terrible. Which is, which is, a, which is a where. That's a place. Very valid option. <laughs> or we can all be teleportation, as in they dusted all of us, and they remade us all better people. Okay, I know. Not feeling so good, Kate. Um, Alex. Uh, no, I, I think I think that we really did cover it. Like it is this this timeless series that covers important topics, uh, and its longevity is due not just to the 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 craft of it and the care with which it handles these topics, but also with the fact that we have not yet fully resolved all of them. And I, I think that it's again it's that show that until we reach utopia. Uh, or an apocalypse it's there's always going to be room for it and i'm excited to see what jordan peele does with it i love what's already been done with it just historically speaking and i think it's great and i think it's something that more people should watch one last question to end this alex yes since you are the most positive person we know what is more likely okay. the utopia or the apocalypse hold on hold on, hold on. no no don't answer that yet because i forgot i didn't think that i was going to get any comments on my twilight zone thing but i have a lot Ooh, okay and then come back to that comment okay yeah yeah. So from uh, so fan, but why those? Because I put this out like right before we started recording. Didn't think we we're gonna get here. Um, from at Northern Cal ni- Northern Call nineteen. It was safe horror when I was a kid and introduced me to come. Uh, introduced me to some storytelling. It helped me develop the ability to see things in different perspective and served as a great starting point for many discussions with my parents. From at Lizzie Lynn Garcia, I used to watch it with my dad as a kid. Also growing up as a kid who went to Disney World, the Tower of Terror was an amazing ride, and it was cool to know the franchise it was from, even at such a young age. At Flatter underscore you, Rod Serling is from Binghampton, where I went to school, so I would always make the bad joke when I was a tour guide that our library was there where the Tower of Terror got the inspiration from, but then I swore our elevators worked much better. Uh, at CJ writes things, the original helped spark my love for storytelling and showed me why stories matter. Fiction can be used as a cautionary tale or as a proof of stories can help shape your worldview for the better. At JD Hall 0116, hey, you and but why the PC are speaking my language. The Twilight Zone is important to me because not only was it one of my first forays into the horror slash sci-fi, but in a roundabout way uh, about the human condition. At its best, the Twilight Zone makes you think deeply and care about one uh, and care about the commentary, etc. Rod Serling was truly both creatively and socially a man beyond his time. Peel gets what Serling was always laying out in the Twilight Zone. Sure, gems in 85 and 02 aside, I think the latest revival is recapturing the magic of the original. 
at Five Meets. I've seen every episode at least three times. It's a wonderful collection of stories with deep sociological commentary that are relevant in any era. Number one commentary is humans suck, as Matt said. Plus, it's full of amazing character actors. At Alfie Game Dev, I'm a huge fan. My dad showed them to me and would explain the social commentary, really shaped my worldview. Also, the night me and my partner first ever expressed our feelings for each other, we stayed up till 1 a.m. watching The Twilight Zone. It's, it'll always be special to me. At Piper Whitaker 4, it's, it was one of the things me and my grandmother connected to that, that and it helped me build my real creativity. It was a start into horror and thriller, and I don't know how I would, who I'd be without it. At Skymaller, they're just solid classics, great stories with poignant social commentary that's still relevant today. Even after all these years, they still manage to be creepy. At Gatsu083, while I've never seen an episode, while I've never seen an episode, it is so frequently referenced, I feel like I have, from Futurama scary door sequences to the countless parodies of, uh, of the goblin on the wing sketch, anything so often referenced must matter to pop culture. At Crochet Hook Fan, to me, every episode asks a simple question. What would you do if this was reality? And the answer was a variation of this is a reality for someone somewhere and right here in your backyard. My fave episode is to serve mankind. Shivers. From at Bruce the Girl, I am so excited for the revival, but every New Year's we watch the marathon. I've grown up loving it and watching it with my dad. Tower of Terror is literally my favorite of all rides because Twilight Zone. From at BWOCEO, my uncle first got me into it and I just ran with it ever since growing up. I just love the different episodes and how they were always different, but always had like an underlying message about yourself and about humanity, or sometimes was just plain out of the box and you loved it. <sighs> From at Retropat underscore 78, the originals are the best. The writing was excellent, the life lessons, the human condition, the eeriness of it all. Rod Serling's voice drew you in. I still watch them frequently. Also enjoy the 1985 ones. There's some great episodes in there. The rest I did not see yet and at richard button just said the sunken submarine which i'm assuming is an episode Whew, that was a lot those are all those are all really really good though i always like feeding the fan but why those and i think like this episode too is because it feels like i we did a good episode yeah because <laughs> i feel like we covered all that um but yeah matt um ask your question to alex okay i got two questions for you alex one <laughs> okay. since you're the most positive person i know do you feel like we'd get to a utopia or apocalypse first. Do I feel like we can or do I feel like we will? How about can? I think I think we could push to a much better society and world than we currently have. Whether or not people could actually uh, set aside differences, find common ground, all the things necessary to that, um, let go of greed, let go of malice and avarice and all those things, that's a much deeper question about whether or not man is inherently evil, whether or not people are inherently good, whether or not... Um, selfishness is even something that we can extinguish like there's there's a lot in there i wouldn't say it's completely 100 percent impossible that we could do better utopia i think is maybe more of a stretch like not even star trek pitches us as actually living in a utopia but i think we can be better cool second question i guess for everybody would it be would you rather prefer gene splicing or would you rather prefer technology where you can just basically like cyberpunk where we just replace whatever parts with the computer or machinery Gene splicing because you can't be hacked at that point. Imagine buy, like having to buy your child a second or third hand uh, hand because you can't afford a new one. 
and you don't know what has been loaded onto it. You don't know how stable it is. You don't know if the parts are going to come undone. I think gene splicing is its own terrifying thing where you start getting real hardened to eugenics. Um, I think the, the classism is erupting out of the idea of physical modifications before they're even a, a reality. Like it's already an issue now with, with uh, amputation and with um, prosthetics. I think they're both deeply troubling futures if those become the standards for just how everyday, you know, goes and how people live. But I feel like I would rather have my genes spliced to, you know, alter my physical capabilities than have an augmented arm that I don't fully control or own in any sense. See, Alex always being a good person because, like, gene splicing, I'm like, I could get wings. <laughs> oh, so you went for superpowers. <laughs> <clears throat> In general. Listen, we already talked about the amount of research I've put into whether or not I could be Captain America. I gave you a 3D hologram. I did my part. <laughs> I know. Anyway, Alex, thank you so much for coming on this yeah, episode. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell everybody again where they can find you? Yeah, I have a pop culture podcast called What We Talk About When We Talk About. I have FrightDay.com where we do genre and horror news and reviews. And I am on Twitter at uh, Most Always Alex. And Game Boys is another podcast I do about co-op gaming. And if you were listening, remember that we are taking questions for our 100th episode. Um, we are going to be making a drinking game out of them. So send us all your questions. Send us multiple questions. Send them to us at butwhythopodcast at gmail.com or send them to us on Twitter or any of our other social medias at butwhythopc. And you can find me at omithrandier on Twitter. Adrian? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at superreese93, S-U-P-E-R-R. UIZ93 and thinking about how my dog doesn't like me and wants to eat me. The dog sounds like a cat. Matt? I'm going to go put in my electronic contacts. Oh, gosh. <laughs>